who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Realm presents Machina. Episode 6 When Mallory arrived at the IARPA remote office, dusty, rumpled, and late. Not at all her usual style. Several of the major Marsite competitors had bases in the remote deserts of Utah and California. These deserts represented Mars' approximate conditions. They were excellent for testing new drones. For trial 2, total loss of signal... IARPA had decided that the drone trial ranges and their simulated lava tubes would all be located in California's high desert. Of course, there had been some protests, especially from teams coming from farther afield. Until Wynne had decided she needed to be on site as well, she herself hadn't fully reckoned with the logistics. Getting nearer to the action during the loss of signal trial meant Wynne could get a sense of what was really happening in each of the bids, on a much more granular level than she could remotely. And she was absolutely sure there were a lot of grains to sort through, especially at Watchover and Devlock. But doing so required three connecting flights— and those flights were in coach, thanks to whomever at the Office of Policy Management decided that GS-15-level employees and above needed to show their loyalty by never upgrading on their own dime, no matter how much the seats and legroom shrank on U.S. commercial flights. Wynne felt as dusty as the Marsite drones waiting in their holding pens for the trial to begin. Coffee, Dr. Mallory. We'll have the viewing room set up in just a moment. IT's still running checks. The young woman, Wynne knew, had no business getting coffee. That was for the bots. Charlie, that's very kind. You're station chief now. Knock it off. The Dr. Mallory business, too. Wynne smiled fondly at her former science officer. Will do, Dr. Mallory. Charlie grinned. Just as soon as we're finished with the business here, I'll take you for a drink. At that watering hole made out of shipping containers and a decommissioned airstream? No, thank you. I'd prefer no one knows I'm here. In answer, Charlie lifted Wynne's beautiful brown leather weekender, testing its weight. Planning to stay for a bit? If that's what it takes to understand the ground truth of the situation, Wynne allowed. I don't trust Devlock farther than I can throw them, no matter what the politicians say. And there's something about their nearest competitor's bots. I can't put my finger on what yet, but... Well, you saw that first build. The Hagia Sophia? I did. You're investigating Devlock's concern, then? Win winced. Ah, so you heard about that, too. Only that they protested. Nothing more. 
Charlie placed Wynne's bag beside a padded leather chair at the control table and waved her hand before the array of six screens until they woke, filling the room with screen glow. The test is ready whenever you are. All robot teams in place. Charlie didn't mention the AI drones had been waiting for over an hour. It was Wynne she had to keep happy, not the five teams still in the Marsite competition. When Wynne waved her hand, the screens revealed five one-mile work sites, each riddled with simulated lava tube networks. The drone teams, as Charlie had stated, waited patiently in their holding pens. Desert dust swirled among the boulders and across the flats. The sixth screen lit up with a green background, casting Wynne in a fishbowl pallor, and a two-way camera light came on. Good morning, Dr. Mallory, Congressman Dezano said. Let me get the others. Sh- surely, sir. Stifling a mild profanity, Wynne spoke carefully. She'd known about one congressperson attending today, not everyone else. There was a computer issue at the Sunport. Grounded everything. I came straight here. Wynne knew she looked like she'd had a long road trip, too, especially in comparison to the congressional spit shine. Thank God for no wrinkle blouses and the trusty federal suit of armor. Blue blazer, blue slacks, made out of fabric blends that could probably survive Mars. At worst, when looked like she'd pulled an all-nighter of travel. And that would make her need to be on site for the test seem even more important. Ground truth was what she was looking for. And that was important. Never mind the inconvenience. As long as she got results. Good results, that is. Three more congressional aides came into view on the sixth screen, looking as if they were seated around the same table. Wynne knew they were each using a staged seating unit the government had bought from an old tech firm at great expense and was loath to replace. The table occupied the space where Electric Bot had washed out in the last trial, the team whose bots had drowned during the water component. Ready when you are, sirs. Congressman Dezano nodded, his voice a step down from earlier thanks to Wynne's practiced deference. Go ahead. Wynne didn't bristle. This was her project, but their committee. A control panel appeared at the center of the six screens. Wynne put one carefully manicured fingertip, the dark gray color was called neutral opposition, which amused Wynne, on a green button. She placed her index finger on the blue button beside it, when she lifted her hand, the holding pens released their captives. Each site's surveillance picked up and transmitted the crunch of wheels on rock, the hum of hover tech, and various pings and whistles as the drones began to move forward, flying, rolling, creeping. They all advanced slowly, testing the surface of the area with sonar, looking for the easiest way into the lava tunnels hidden below, their first major task. Once there, the drones would need to create irrigation mantles and lighting structures for hanging gardens, a replica of what would be the first underground food sources on Mars. Then they'd need to supply the water and electricity, all without collapsing the tunnels. It was a tough test, made more difficult by the loss of signal Wynne had initiated with the second blue button. Mama can't help you this round, she said to the screens. One of the politicians laughed. Good. Across the bottom of each competitor's screen, data transmission rates ran a straight line on the zero axis. No information from the drones was going back to their parent companies at all this test. Babies had to run the entire race alone. The data transmission rates for the sixth screen spiked every time a general shifted in his or her chair. So did Wynne's annoyance. What would you say is happening now, Dr. Mallory? They weren't going to watch the entire 23-hour trial, were they? Probably not. But none of them had read the brief, which stated exactly what was happening now. Wynne bit back an inaudible sigh, steeled her smile, and began to speak. Sirs, in my last brief... Far off the edge of one screen, a dust trail from a car lifted across the desert, out toward the boulder area, distracting Wynne for a moment. Interesting, 
she murmured, then gathered herself. As I was saying. Wynne got through two-thirds of her brief before Team 5, the one from Boston, dug into and collapsed its simulated lava tube on top of itself. The gray earth from IAI Tex AI was working on bent purple for a moment, then dropped into darkness, leaving only a hole, with rubble and the team's broken drones stilled at the bottom. Three teams left, Wynne said to the remaining congressional aides. Congressman DeZano had timed out already. Those remaining nodded approvingly and made notes in their tablets. The remaining teams kept working, unaware they were one step closer to winning. At least those teams seemed to know how to diligently reinforce tunnel work without being told to do it. Wynne had dated a man once, though she had already forgotten his name, fairly high military, who didn't do anything without orders. At first, it had been nice not having to argue every point, but she'd soon grown tired of the extra work required to tell the guy what to do, in detail. She felt that way about Team 5 a little, and the generals too, if she was honest. If it wasn't self-sufficient, or at least independently helpful, she, meaning Ayarba, didn't want it for Mars. Autonomy was just a starting point. Loyalty. Innovation. Wynne was looking for something wholly new. She shook her head, pushing the failed team from her mind into the same bin as her old beau. She kept talking, narrating what was happening. The show. By the time she'd finished her presentation three hours later, as detailed and boring as she'd been able to make it, all of the politicians, aides, and wonks had drifted away. Wynne checked in on each of the three remaining teams, all now well underground and working. Then she let her eyes drift back to the far-flung boulders in the unused test zone five. What was going on out there anyway? Park here, Stephanie instructed her car. The car, predictably, Locked, looking for familiar white lines on black pavement and getting only sand. Manual override, Stephanie said finally, and slid the 4,000-pound excuse for an automated car into park herself. Wow, she was in a mood. But she knew it, and that was progress on the anger management front. She hated when she lost her temper in public, especially after Trey had been able to trigger that reaction so often at Devlock, and then blame her for it. Stephanie had successfully gotten away from Watchover's offices without spilling her mood everywhere. She was outside. She was going to climb some boulders until she felt better. Or until her anxiety about how out of control everything was, the second trial, the investor briefing, the issue with Devlock, dissipated. She looked around at the mile-wide site she'd chosen, a mostly flat range with a few V1 and V2 boulders scattered across it, similar to the Apple Valley for intensity, though this was government property, so the boulders didn't have names. That the site also happened to be where one of her failed competitors was supposed to be running their drones wasn't important, Stephanie decided. Four teams, three to go, she muttered as she shouldered her bouldering mat and gear from the Tesla's trunk and headed across the sand to a 15-foot dome boulder that looked like it would kick her ass. Good. Her mood was darkening, not lifting. The investors' meeting hadn't been the worst of it. Trey's stupid suspicions when she and Lakshmi had been so careful to make sure no code crossed over, even though Trey had often claimed their code as his own, all the way back to college, that was terrible enough. But what Stephanie had glimpsed on the surveillance was even worse. Cameron and someone else, someone she couldn't see on her control panel, out by the Mesa... She didn't care what that was about. It had to stop. And as soon as she cooled down enough, she was going to make sure that happened. My own staff, hell in a handbasket. As she began her first ascent, fingers cranked on a ridge, toes pressed into a tiny crack in the large sandstone boulder, a few tiny, cloud-colored cameras escaped Stephanie's chalk bag, as they'd been programmed to do. 
They hovered for a moment, before zooming soundlessly off toward watchover and the bar. Stephanie was able to focus, finally, on the feel of stone against her palms, hot desert sun making her skin pulse like a drum. She was in the zone. She'd be calm in a few minutes. Just then, Trey fucking Lowell's voice, loud and close, broke her focus with a, Hey, Steph, right below her. Stephanie dropped hard to the ground. Asshole! Stephanie shouted and wiped the desert off her. She couldn't hold herself back any longer. And hey, who deserved the full force of her feelings more than Trey? Stephanie got as close as she could to Trey's immaculate shirt, hoping some of the desert would ruin that perfection. She stood nearly nose to nose with him, but instead of intimidated, Trey's self-aggrandizing smirk grew bigger just like he knew it would, and oh how she hated that he knew, that smirk made Stephanie even angrier. Did you not find anything in our code? Did your spies give up, Mr. Establishment? Finally, he blinked and clenched his jaw. That nickname, from their first year at college when they'd successfully teased him out of running for student council, pissed him off, where Stephanie's sweat-streaked face a few inches from his own hadn't. How did you know I was looking? Stephanie realized she'd nearly thrown Denise Cho under a bus. She dialed back fast. Despite the fact that she was angry that Trey had sent his second-in-command to ask questions, Denise could still be an ally. Maybe. Everyone knows. You'd be an idiot not to look, even though you should know I'm honest to a fault by now. But you won't find anything. Because we've been ridiculously careful. We make sure no one's using old code. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com r-e-a-l-m now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash realm during women's history month come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast thread the needle i'm your host donna shill i'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today listen to thread the needle wherever you get your podcasts it was so easy to get under stephanie's skin Trey almost didn't have to try anymore. That was how easy it was. And every time she got mad, she gave away her game. Too emotional. Always. That was her flaw. How can you possibly be sure they're not farming my code unless you're watching every keystroke? Trey wondered aloud. Then he paused. Oh. Realization dawned. Trey managed a decent poker face, but he'd figured it out. Watch over was monitoring every keystroke, and knowing the women the way Trey did, a whole lot else besides. 
He continued to smirk at Stephanie because it would distract her as he thought rapidly through a different plan to beat Watch over. No protests required, although he'd keep that up too. But this was better. Total honesty. Looking out for his former employees. Cameron in particular would hate the fact that their code was being logged. Every error, every redo. Trey almost laughed out loud as he imagined Cameron's reaction, but stopped himself in time to avoid giving away the game. Don't worry. I've come here to make a peace offering, Stephanie. A little desert challenge I've set up to distract our teams while everyone's sitting on their hands, so to speak. Are you going to create a team-building challenge and keep Watchover and Devlock staff separate? Especially two people in particular, Stephanie wondered. But with her drones aloft, she had to distract Trey. And he did love his team-building challenges. She'd lived through enough of them over her years at Devlock. She hated them. Especially the goodwill ones that always ended up with Trey winning. But at this moment, she'd agreed to almost anything, which she also hated. Should I be recording this challenge? Stephanie asked. Of course, Trey said, if recording's your thing. He smirked again. Stephanie ignored him as best she could. She turned the recorder on her GoPro and filmed him from a very unflattering angle. Trey looked as if he was basking in the increasingly frustrated expression on Stephanie's face as he laid out the terms of the race. Eggs. Fragile and easily cooked, right? Stephanie raised an eyebrow. Go on. The challenge, should you choose to accept it, is to deliver an unbroken egg across a mile of sun-soaked desert before the other team completes the same task, without any human assistance or touching sand except at takeoff or landing. What's the prize? Naming rights in the Mars drones. That will be easy, Stephanie said. With our swarm especially. He knew she couldn't back down. The thought of Trey naming her drones would be anathema. An unbroken, uncooked egg. Trey grinned, raising his smartwatch to show the temperature was 110 in the shade. Still accept? That sounds like just the perfect thing. Stephanie said through clenched teeth. She was already messaging the recording to her team. We'll meet you back here in two hours to begin. Back at their cold room desk at Watchover, Cameron watched the infuriating message from their boss twice before kicking a box of spare drone parts with the sharp toe of their fluvog. A race? An actual egg race. What? Were they doing HR onboarding bonding projects now? Only thing worse would be to make everyone stand in a circle holding a pet rock and practicing making friends with it, in front of everyone, like Trey had done to them once. Fine. But did no one at Watchover, Stephanie in particular, understand how much focus was required to prepare for Trial 3? especially now with so many other distractions and with the terrifically awful pressure of not knowing what the drones were up to on the second Marsite test? Cameron pictured E finding and entering the lava tube successfully. They breathed and thought calming thoughts. They relaxed. It would be all right. But before they could focus again, Cameron's brain helpfully served up a new image— of E reducing the lava tube to gray goo. No, nope. They'd been focused. They'd been fine. And now this stupid egg drop race? For what? Cameron seethed as Tama bounced into the cold room. We're gonna kick some devlock ass, Tama declared. They've got nothing on us. The glee on Tama's face did nothing to help Cameron's mood. Still, Cameron said nothing just twisted the Control-Alt-Delete key bracelet they were wearing around on their wrist until it scraped the skin. Seriously, Cameron, you've got to see how badly Trey's flubbed this one. If we win, we can give the drones a fantastic name like Dicklock or something. Oh, also, you might want to see who the team leader is for the opposition. After seeing what she did with Pseudo, I can't wait to watch this.
There was a new message on the watchover all-call board. Team leaders. Tama, of course, for watchover. And Noor for Devlock. Maybe, Cameron thought, this would be a good distraction. Things are getting pretty tense around here. Your naming schema needs some tweaks, though. Cameron nudged the box of drone parts toward Tama. Let's see what we can do in two hours. No opportunity to watch Nor in action was ever wasted. Sipping on the iced coffee Charlie thoughtfully brought her for lunch, Wynne Mallory watched the remaining four Marsite test teams in action in blissful solitude. She could see some data from the tunnels now, although not visuals. The loss of signal was from the drones themselves. IARPA's own surveillance was mostly unaffected, and above ground. While all three teams had successfully passed the first benchmark, one seemed stalled on the hydroponics, and another had shorted out its own system hooking up an electric transformer. The electronic and magnetic emissions from the tunnels made that entirely too clear. Meantime, Devlock and Watchover drones continued to engage their tasks successfully. At least, the data indicated so. Both sets of lava tubes had running water and electricity flowing. Both were exhibiting the first biosigns from the rapid-growth hydroponic seeds they'd been given. Wynne would have to wait to see how their approaches differed, but she was intrigued that it was these two companies racing against time on two fronts, both in the lava tunnels and, separately, in the desert. The desert trial was being live-cast by that startup magazine, Code Overload. Wynne had it on side screen, for her own amusement. It was nice, wasn't it, that Trey had come up with a team-building exercise for both teams? something he'd called to clear with her, as a good-faith gesture. Sure, she'd agreed, that's a very nice thing to do. She didn't buy his good faith at all. He hadn't pulled his protest, but she let them play. Not my circus, Wynne said to the empty room. Only the drones mattered, and the drones were doing fine. Two hours after Trey's initial challenge, buses from Watchover and Devlock arrived in Zone 5, followed by their supply vans. The rear doors of Watchover's van opened up first, disgorging several of its engineers. Tama and Cameron carried a large gray Rubbermaid bin between them out to the boulder, where Trey had first made his challenge. Tama's vintage Vibram toe shoes gripped the sand mightily, but Cameron had declined to change. The star dazzle of their shoes sparkled like diamonds in the dust. Hero, the reporter from Code Overload, rolled up on his desert bike and shed his helmet. Who's ready to rumble? He shouted. When Cameron dead stared him to a stop, Hero hand waved, Hey, it was a joke, and walked to the center of the course. I was ready, he could be heard muttering as his shoes scuffed the dirt. Devlock's team, in their matching shirts and khakis, lined up to help offload their drones, obviously an older generation of robots, passing first several transport systems, then a refrigeration device that was already sweating through its casing, up to their lead team at the boulder. Everyone was there, Cameron saw, except for the three bigwigs, Trey, Denise, and Baroth. That was exactly what Cameron had hated about Devlock's corporate culture— the higher-ups issued orders, but wouldn't come down to see them through. At least Stephanie had jumped in the van with them, enthusiastically remarking on the modifications Tama had added to the hive drones. She'd been quiet around Cameron, though. That was probably because Tama had joked, Don't let your girlfriend beat us. And Cameron had told him off, firmly, with, I don't have a girlfriend. It had been awkward ever since. But now... Here they all were, and there Noor was not too far away, and, despite all the corporate branding, gloriously beautiful. Cameron tried to squelch their eagerness at seeing what she'd come up with. Standing beside Stephanie was one of the local farmers, sweating through his nicest denim work shirt. Trey sent me with these, he explained. 
He held out a container of a dozen eggs, and Tama and Nor each chose one. Was about to take them to the co-op. First time I've gotten a full dozen in weeks. Tama picked a white-flecked egg, and Nor's was almost blue. My wife's waiting at the other side of the field to cook you all breakfast when we are done. Cameron couldn't think of anything more stomach-churning than breakfast in the desert, while somewhere else their drones were doing God knows what underground. As they and Tama carried the bin to the starting line the farmer had towed in the desert sand, they let their attention wander toward the Devlock team lining up. Cameron did their best to make it look like professional curiosity. Stephanie was watching. And so was Hero, the code overload reporter, from the center of the field. Everyone could hear him counting down to broadcast time. When everyone was near the line, the farmer raised a red bandana, dropped it, and the race began. Cameron opened the bin and watched their old drones lift out of it, slightly clumsier than the hive, but still powerful, still absolutely right for this task. The watchover drone swarm carried beneath it a basket and emitted small bursts of liquid nitrogen. And they're off, Hero said, launching his own drones in the air for better overhead coverage. The swarm's got a unique approach, but can it beat Dex's secret weapon? Hero, sub-voice at least. Nor stood, her brow furrowed. It was the first time anyone had heard her displeased. Let us concentrate. Nah, you go on, hero, Thomas said. Talk all you want. Nor rolled her eyes and rolled up her sleeves, getting back to work. Thomas' handheld display showed that the basket's temperature was a fine 40 degrees Fahrenheit, even as the desert radiated near 115 degrees. Cameron, with no regrets whatsoever for their clothing choices, wished they were riding in the basket just a little bit. Nor already looked hot. Overheated, that is, too. The Devlock team's drones were extruding a series of dark-colored, self-printed carbon fiber tubes, and they'd attached their coolant device as a glider on top of the tubes. From what Cameron could see, their egg was being rolled along, gently, inside the tube, away from the heated desert air. The tube material was gathered up after the egg passed through it, by another drone, then reprinted in front of the egg. From a shaded location, Nor controlled everything on a tablet, while her team cheered. It was all rather brilliant and beautiful, Cameron thought. The margin for error was also much lower than that of the watchover team's solution. Despite himself, Hero went to sub-vocals. He didn't want to dare Nor's wrath again. Devlocks totally got it in the bag, friends, he whispered to the code overload viewers. Already, watchovers' drone carriers had veered off course due to the coolant jets interfering with altitude. Tama made frantic adjustments on his handheld, and Devlock's challenge just kept rolling. Finally, Tama elbowed Cameron. Need your help here. Which side are you rooting for anyway? With Stephanie looking on and Nor studiously not looking at their team at all, Cameron jumped in to help recalibrate the jets. Watchover's hallways were almost completely empty, save for simplicity at the main entrance, when Trey strolled in, eyeing the bot cautiously. But simplicity didn't budge. Damn, the researchers at Bastion, Devlock's mentor corporation, were right about the latest ID negative makeup and fabric, Trey realized. It was good enough to fool an AI. He'd painted himself entirely in gray, white, and blue geometric patterns to match the lycra bodysuit he wore. Enough to fool an AI, sure, but to humanize, his own especially, this looked ridiculous. Still, all the humans were out in the desert, and the bots only knew the information humans gave them, and Trey wasn't giving Simplicity a single bit of processable data. Just noise. The little robot stayed vigilant by the entrance as Trey headed down the hall, straight for Stephanie's office, and its closed and locked door. The keypad took only alphanumerics, not keycards, so Trey attempted an array of passwords. Trey asshole one didn't work, surprisingly. 
That had been Stephanie's last password at Devlock. He tried various names and numbers, growing more frustrated, until he hit the obvious. Her kids' names, in binary, reversed, plus the name of their original project, SM4R-T. The darkened office's screens flickered as he entered, which unnerved him. But the surveillance cameras in the office stayed inactivated and didn't track him. Trey kept moving. When he saw what the screens held, he was so glad he'd thought up the challenge and had figured out how to infiltrate Watchover. Dozens of windows lit Stephanie's screen, each tracking data. Watchover employee data, to be specific. Every measurable component. Keystrokes in one, all call messages in another. More personal messages in a third. And then jackpot biolocation data showing where everyone was and had been across weeks and months. That was a lawsuit right there. And now the whole naive cluster of them was gathered out in the desert. Easy pickings for someone as brilliant as Trey. He knelt by the desk, capturing screen after screen of data, downloading the rest of it to a contact drive on his index finger. He barely looked at any of it. There was so much. Stephanie was even tracking her team's breathing rates and iris size when she could get it. What a laugh. Her calling him controlling? He could have collected more data, but it was hot in the office, and his makeup was going to start running soon. This was enough to ruin Stephanie. He was sure of it. He just needed it to get past simplicity. It was time to go. He rose from his crouch, hating the way the lycra suit was starting to show sweat stains. Good thing no one was around. At the door, there was a gasp of recognition. What are you doing, Trey? Lakshmi said. Lakshmi's voice was angry, but she couldn't look at Trey and not laugh. The man looked like a neural network-generated Picasso from the painter's blue period. In fact, Lakshmi realized with a snort, that's almost certainly what he wore, from the makeup to the... Oh, God, Trey, that's a lycra skin suit. What are you doing? She knew what he was doing. She couldn't see a smart key anywhere on his person, and she could certainly see everything else. Gross. But the only reason for him to be there, especially looking like that, was infiltration. Lakshmi, look, you have to realize that Stephanie's out of control, Trey began, sweat leaving skin-colored trails in the careful makeup patterns. Have you looked at yourself in the mirror, Trey? Testing your product for Bastion, actually, Trey said. Lakshmi knew when he was lying his teeth off, and this registered true. Shit. They have concerns about Stephanie, too. And you and Nico probably do also. You say that, standing where you are. The nerve. Lakshmi's amusement had ebbed considerably. Okay, listen. I know what Watchover's doing to its employees. Logging everything. Everything. You know what that gets you? Data, Lakshmi said automatically. Anonymized. No personal messages being tracked. And besides, it's only on company time. It's not, Trey countered. Lakshmi knew Trey didn't have to wonder if she could actually be that naive. He'd utilized that quality himself more than a few times. Look, he pointed to the screen where, appallingly, Lakshmi's latest conversation with her brother was scrolling by. Not anonymized at all. Watching his expression as she processed the proof of his words was horrifying. Stephanie's tracking everything. It took a beat, but Lakshmi grasped why Stephanie would choose to uncloak the data. They'd even talked about it once or twice at Lakshmi's suggestion, but hadn't decided to implement it. We are just testing internal company-owned systems, she finally said. But it was a lame cover. She turned her anger at Stephanie, entree. We are not, for instance, spying on a competitor. Look, Trey countered. 
I'll make you, and Stephanie too, a deal if you two are still talking after the dust settles. Trey had tried to bargain his way out of getting caught red-handed copying code, too. It hadn't worked then. But Lakshmi hesitated now. I'm listening. Trey pitched his voice low, soothing. If you let me go, I'll make sure you have a job once Devlock wins the challenge. It was like listening to a talking potholder, a blue and gray and white one. I'll never work for you again, Trey. I'll quit programming first. Lakshmi couldn't help herself. She spat at his ridiculous lycra-bound feet. Oh, you won't be working for me, I promise, Trey said. Lakshmi's eyes narrowed as she prepared to call him a liar, but he kept talking. I plan to step back as Devlock CTO and let Denise or Baroth or maybe you take the reins. Trey? Stepping down? That was not an offer she'd expected. Despite herself, Lakshmi felt slightly intrigued. She missed programming, missed the day-to-day -day work, and she'd miss it more if she took over Devlock, but she wouldn't miss managing Stephanie's moods and dealing with investors one bit. Wait, no, what was she doing? She was not going to fall for one of his tricks. Besides, she knew Stephanie's drones were about to start returning data from the test sites and from Devlock's campus, which was why she'd come in. So she needed to get Trey out of there. Fast. Lakshmi could think of two ways to do that. She could report him to Iarba, or she could fake him out to try and figure out what he knew. The first would likely result in Trey dumping all of Watchover's business online the first chance he got. The second might give them a fighting chance, at least until she told Stephanie what had happened. Stephanie wasn't going to take any of this well. Lakshmi took a deep breath. That option, the one where you're not there, but I am? Trey nodded, gestured for her to keep talking. That's intriguing. Please spell out for me how that might work, as I escort you out our front door. But first... She lifted her phone and snapped a photo of him in all his neural Picassian glory. Insurance. The farmer's freckled, red-headed wife dropped her kerchief as the two sets of drones crossed the finish line side by side. Watchover and Devlock's teams, having driven the mile of distance in their air-conditioned buses, both cheered wildly, and their representatives went to retrieve their eggs. It's neck and neck, or egg and egg, out here with two of the hottest AI dev teams on the sand, Hero told his audience, which had grown so much his portable batteries were overheating. Tama got to the watch-over basket first and passed his egg gently to the farmer, who cracked it open into an iron frying pan that had been resting on the hot ground for an hour. The egg spilled out raw and began to sizzle loudly. Good going, watch-over, Hero said. That's a fine fried egg. Cameron cheered as happily as everyone else, including Nico, amazingly, but their eyes were already watching Noor bend down to the cooled Devlock tube and retrieve her egg. It looked solid enough at first, but as Noor lifted the egg high, stress cracks appeared all over the shell, and the egg exploded, showering Noor in albumin and yolk. In reaction, Noor laughed, delighted. What a fantastic failure, she shouted. Her scarf was plastered to her head, and her face streaked with goo. Cameron thought she'd never looked cuter. And the winner, Hero said, waving his arms, is Watchover! Just as the sun began turning every desert ridge gold and purple, the teams began to clean up their drones. Tama, thankfully, didn't embarrass Cameron by sharing his naming idea. Instead, he invited everyone to the moonshot on Watchover's tab. Noor's smile dimmed. We can't fraternize there. No, we can, said Mike. Baroth posted in a chat that since we can't influence the drones when they're out on trial, Trey's lifted the rule. There was more cheering, and Nora smiled happily as she began to wipe her face with the farmer's handkerchief. Cameron wanted so much to help her clean up, but resolutely walked back to the bus with their team instead. 
they'd see each other at the bar. Hero climbed into Watchover's van. Excellent work, everyone, Stephanie said brightly once they were underway. This was a really good idea to blow off some steam. She looked at her watch. Her drones had still not returned any data. There'd been no word from Lakshmi either, who'd stayed behind. The last angel funder riding beside Nico looked delighted, though. That was a win. Yeah, but what's up with Trey lifting the fraternization ban? Something's suspicious, Thomas said. But when Stephanie gave a slight shake of her head, Cameron remembered there were wealthy people on the bus. People who didn't like controversy. And reporters. Stephanie's mood was lighter than they'd seen it all day, and Thomas' questions in front of the funders could screw that up. Cameron didn't want anything to get in the way of getting to the moonshot. Just roll with it. If he's letting them out, we can relax a little, yeah? Maybe he's going to stop with the protests, too. Tama grinned and slapped Cameron on the shoulder. I've never heard you advocating for chilling out, my friend. So, okay, let's do that. Cameron thought they saw Stephanie roll her eyes, but decided they were overthinking everything. They decided to focus on how it would feel to be sitting near Noor at the bar instead. 48 hours apart had been far too long. At the moonshot, Lakshmi stared into her drink. What is this? A zero divide, Smith said. Oh. She turned the glass back and forth, leaving a liquid circle expanding on the bar top. You want to tell me what's wrong, lady? Smith leaned into the bartender role, lowering his voice a couple of registers, but Lakshmi didn't seem to notice. A zero drive? She asked again, distracted, or, Smith thought, trying to distract him. Now I know something's really wrong, Lakshmi. You don't forget things. Tell your friend Smith what's going on. He reached across the bar and, carefully, touched her shoulder. She looked up at him, the skin near her left eye twitching. I have to tell Stephanie something, but I feel so sick. Everything's so messed up. Smits didn't push. He squeezed her shoulder once, gently, and then went back to wiping the bar. But he didn't go far either. I'm listening. That lack of pressure was exactly what Lakshmi needed. She felt the tension she'd had in her shoulders ever since she escorted Trey off watchover property after feeding Simplicity Trey's new photo unfurl. Smits was such a comfort. Lakshmi looked at him and was surprised to realize she felt that same fondness whenever he was nearby. She made up her mind to be open with him. I saw something today at Watchover that's really troubling. And Stephanie's going to explode, probably. Not to mention her drones never returned from their recon. That's a tough one, Smith said. He poured her a water and Lakshmi drank it in big gulps. Easy there. It's going to be all right, whatever it is. She nodded at him over the rim of the water glass. Pseudo barked, a welcoming sound this time. Two buses had pulled into the bar's parking lot. Opening time, Smith said. Unless you'd like another minute, you've got some pull with management. Lakshmi couldn't help herself. She smiled and immediately felt better. No, it's okay. I can do this. You can. Smiths nodded as he sent Pseudo outside to welcome both teams. Watchover entered first, with Nico and Stephanie talking excitedly. That, at least, was a good sign. Lakshmi heard, Liquid nitrogen can be replaced with carbon dioxide, and realized that Trey's challenge might have just shaken loose one of the hive's attendant problems once it was on Mars. Propellant propagation. Lakshmi smiled at even that small win. Stephanie bounced up to her. We won! What should we name Trey's drone? Lakshmi froze, unable to answer. Stephanie looked at her curiously, but didn't get a chance to ask again. Tama began shouting near the door. Two in a row, he called. That's not two. 
a Devlock programmer, Mike, said, walking in with Hero, the reporter from Code Overload. Stephanie, Lakshmi said, using the tumult as cover, I need to talk to you, right now. She slipped off her stool and started to pull her partner toward the supply hallway, preferably on the roof, away from everyone. They were almost down the hall when Sudo began barking again. This time, the dog sounded almost annoyed. Then the room, which had been filled with bustle when they left it, went dead silent. Something's wrong. Lakshmi made a quick decision and turned back to the bar. Stephanie, grumbling about being pulled this way and that for no reason, followed. When they came back into the bar, every watchover employee, as well as every Devlock employee, was staring at the far wall, the one with the big screen for movie night, which had been unfurled. The dog kept barking. Someone had duct-taped a mini-projector to its head and powered it up. Light shot through Sudo's open mouth. The robot dog had become a broadcast unit and didn't like the bright, flickering arc of light that reached from it all the way to the big white screen. Smits had covered his eyes in pain. He was fumbling for his sunglasses. Lakshmi didn't like the light either, but she especially didn't like what was in that arc of light. She grabbed the bartender's sunglasses and briefly touched his fingers as she handed them over. But she couldn't take her eyes off the screen. Across the white expanse, watchovers monitoring data splayed. Detail after detail. Conversations, keystrokes, everything, even employee locations after hours. Things Lakshmi hadn't known they were monitoring, including her own data. She stared at everything Trey had downloaded. She had been so naive. Her photo of him? That wasn't insurance. Not against this. That was just child's play. This was something else again. Sudo wouldn't stop barking. There was no other sound in the room. Lakshmi turned to the bar, thinking to get her drink, but there was Smits, staring at the screen too, sunglasses on, but clearly horrified. She couldn't go near that. Not now. What is happening? Stephanie whispered, her face as pale as the screen. Sudo, stop action, Cameron erupted. The wall display stopped on a shot of Cameron themselves doodling mesas in a notebook, then kept going. For a moment, the rest of the moonshot bar held silent with shock. Everything had been recorded. Cameron turned to Stephanie, their face nearly purple with rage. You were monitoring us? All the time? Down to the base code? Our personal conversations? The data feed started up again. There was so much of it. The dog kept barking. Stephanie's voice cracked. Lots of companies do. If you don't believe that, you're naive. Devlock didn't. Not ever. Trey's voice rang loud in the bar. What were you thinking? Stephanie rubbed at one ear. Who gave the data to the damn dog? When she caught sight of Trey, his grin identical with the one from that morning, she yelled, You! The race today was just so... Her voice shook with barely controlled feeling. She didn't care. She turned to Lakshmi. Is this what you were trying to tell me? Why didn't you text me the minute... Around them, several of her employees began to quietly pack up their stuff. Cameron was still standing, furious in front of her. The dog continued to bark as light spilled from its mouth. Pseudo, play dead, Smith said before things could get any worse. The dog lay down and rolled over. The projector pointed to the floor where the data kept streaming, but upside down now and unreadable. Someone had reprogrammed Pseudo's monitor to read, Game Over. That was still legible, even upside down. None of it mattered. Stephanie realized. She'd lost everyone's trust. The data on employee location returned to the screen. Even upside down, roads and houses were distinguishable, along with blue dots for watchover staff. Nor gasped and pushed her way out of the bar. With a final glare at Stephanie, Cameron followed her. 
in twos and threes, whispering. Others began to leave as well. Soon, the moonshot was nearly empty. Smits slowly wiped the bar, sunglasses still on. Stephanie and Lakshmi stood, stunned in the center of the room. Trey leaned against the wall with a screen, smiling. Nico returned from hustling an investor back to the bus, a grim frown spreading across his face. He nearly bumped into Hero, who had been circuiting the room, taking a wide panorama of the aftermath. He turned to the young reporter. Get out. I have an endy, Hero replied. Get out, Smits growled. Hero left, muttering about freedom of the press. Smits began turning out the lights in the bar. When he neared Lakshmi, he said gently, Time to head home, folks. Lakshmi listened, heading for the door. Her hip buzzed, echoed by three similar notifications in the room, but she kept walking. The results of the second trial could wait. Stephanie did the same. Only Nico and Trey lifted their devices to look at the results. Nico frowned at what he saw there, then stuffed his phone into his back pocket and grimly stomped out the door. Outside, people were summoning automated cars to come get them. No one wanted to get back on the watchover bus. Stephanie climbed aboard. Someone's got to make sure the thing gets home. As she looked back through the screen door of the bar, Stephanie spotted Trey staring at his phone, that awful self-aggrandizing smile on his face. She guessed, without looking at her own phone, that watchover had lost. At this point, she wasn't sure it mattered how badly. Trey climbed aboard the Devlock bus for the ride back to headquarters. He looked around at his team and saw shock and concern on their faces. Not for themselves, but for their fellow engineers and scientists. Now was not the time for anything but a pep talk. No one knew the results were in besides him, Stephanie, Lakshmi, and Nico anyway. So, a team-building pep talk. All of us... Trey began quietly, letting the noise of conversation die down. Our members of a great team, and all of us maintain our own independence, too. I want you all to know that privacy is a choice, like everything, and Devlock is dedicated to your privacy, as much as we are to winning. There were quiet cheers. Trey basked in their lukewarm warmth. Everyone was still shocked by Watchover's actions, and that was just fine by him. We'll have an all-hands meeting in the morning, Trey announced as the bus pulled into the company parking lot. Until then, rest well, knowing you did good. The team dispersed, everyone drifting across the Devlock parking lot to their own vehicles. Trey didn't see Noor anywhere. That was fine also. He'd congratulate her tomorrow and then find out what she'd seen on the screen that alarmed her so. He walked into the office building, thinking to maybe get in an extra workout in the triumphant quiet. He was too wired to sleep. He'd won. Watchover was never coming back from this, and Trey was always wired after winning. But Denise greeted him, with Baroth in tow. Both looked concerned. What's going on? he asked them. Denise took the lead. Did you really break into Watchover's offices? And Baroth came right behind. Do you have any idea how to recreate the code you wrote the other night? Hold on. One at a time. Trey made a placating gesture with his hands, as if trying to push their words below decks. What's wrong with the code, exactly? Did it impact the test? It did not, Baroth said, because I removed it. You did what? Trey forced himself calm. He was ice. He was steel. He was that song on his playlist about invincibility. Barath would have an explanation or be gone by morning. I removed it from the drones before we sent them out on the test, and we did well anyway, fair and square. That was true. They had done very well. But I inserted your code in one of our older bots to test it, and, well, you need to come see what happened. 
Barath started walking down the hall. If you copied my code into another bot, why do you need me to recreate it? Trey asked, puzzled. Come see. Barath kept walking and Trey hastened to catch up to him. Denise kept pace with them both, sighing dramatically. Just tell me you didn't break into Watchover and I'll go home, she said. Then I guess you're not going home, Trey replied. I retrieved evidence that Watchover has been spying on their employees, day and night. But you went there looking for what, exactly? The exasperation in Denise's voice was crisp and clear. For proof that they'd stolen our code? They were approaching the cold room door. Yes, Trey muttered. Denise's response was immediate. I told you I found no evidence, so you went looking. You don't trust me or anyone else. You think you are a law unto yourself. And look what I did find. Trey held up the contact drive. They are behaving completely unethically, disrespecting their employees, expecting full disclosure and taking it without asking. Those employees aren't their property. So you feel justified in doing exactly the same thing? Denise positioned herself between the cold room door and both men. Do you think that's ethical? You have no standing now in any of your protests. You have to drop them, or we're washed out. Do you hear me? She hadn't raised her voice, but Trey realized that, even angry, Denise was right. I hear you. You make a fair argument. So, what do you want me to do now? Drop the protests. We've beaten them fair and square. You said so yourself. But barely, Baroth said as he reached past Denise to open the cold room door. We're going to need a lot more if we want to beat them in the final challenge, and that's why I wonder if we need that code. Baroth opened the door to a scene of total destruction. Inside the cold room, desks were splayed into metal flowers, computer parts littered the ceiling like stars, and in the center of everything stood a half-melted robot with one eye flickering. At least I need to know what, exactly, your intent was when you wrote it, Baroth said. For the first time in a long time, the CEO of Devlock was completely speechless. He hadn't seen a robot lose control like this since Cameron's enormous, entirely avoidable mistake with the Mesa. The screens arrayed before Wynn Mallory barely cast any light in the Situation Room at remote headquarters. She sat in near darkness. She shivered. The air conditioning was, as always, set too high in government offices, and she hadn't brought an extra layer, but that was not entirely why she felt a chill. She was unsettled. Nevertheless, Wynn Mallory looked directly into the camera and cleared her throat. We have two teams remaining in the IARPA Marsite Challenge, sirs. Watchover and Devlock. They'll be heading into the final round. But I have some concerns that I believe you'll share. Wynne delivered her statements to the empty screens before her, practicing in the chilly, darkened room. She paused before continuing. I have some developments that you may be interested in. She cleared her throat. The reason why I've called you all back to give you the second trial results personally is that one project bears more explanation and scrutiny. No, that was wrong also. Wynne groaned. How was she going to be able to tell anyone in the high echelons what had happened in those lava tunnels, especially when she herself couldn't really put words to it yet? Sure, one team absolutely won, fair and square, but... Another team? Another team did something amazing. Something no drones should have been able to do, without massive rewrites that should have taken any team days, if not weeks, to propagate. Should have, but didn't. The drones had acted independently. Independence. That's what she'd convinced herself she was looking for in these trials. Autonomy and loyalty. The first team had shown loyalty, that's for sure. Its drones had accomplished the test tasks perfectly and to the letter. 
Charlie would have said the team was absolutely lawful good. But the second team had displayed startling independence in a very chaotic way. And that's what Wynne needed to tell the congressional representatives. That was what she was supposed to tell them. Anytime there was an aberration, to get their go or no-go to move forward. Except she wasn't sure she wanted to. Wynne looked back over the digital field reports. Of four teams acting without direct contact with their controllers for nearly 24 hours, one resulted in a collapsed lava tube within hours of the test's start. One managed to get power and water running, but then killed all of its hydroponic starters. And two accomplished everything. One perfectly and to the rules. The other in a way that still startled Wynne. It was efficient, stunningly, brilliantly new, and a little bit scary. The second team would have won the contest, except that Wynne had stipulated scoring be kept strictly according to the standards of the challenge. The first team had done just that. The drones from the second team had deconstructed a connected lava tube to extend and enhance their task in a way that looked like a gray goo event, but wasn't. The holes that riddled the deconstructed lava tube had been used to enrich a slowly rotating spiral of hydroponic planters with extra nitrogen, a task no one had given the drones that when knew of. Independent action, even when the outcome was good, was startling when it came to drones, even modern AI drones. She thought about the Hagia Sophia that had sprung up from the previous Marsite trial. More than startling, it was unsettling. She really needed to tell her bosses. But Wynne stood up from the control desk, turned off the lights, picked up her bag, and walked out of the room instead. No one had been harmed. The second team had simply displayed too much independence, and they'd lost because of it. They'd be warned. They'd tone it down, knowing that they'd lose much more the next time if they didn't. And then the best system would really show forth. That would be exciting. Wynne could wait until after Antarctica to discuss the situation with Congressman Dezano. You're listening to Machina, narrated by Natalie Nottis. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Hey Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh yeah, I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? Ho, 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 ho! Your search is at an <laughs> end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy, or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Machina is written by Fran Wild, Malka Older, and Curtis C. Chen. Produced by Marco Palmieri. Executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.